Well, good morning. And a very, very happy new year. God is good, and I'm so excited, and I thank him so much for his goodness. His goodness just bubbles through us, and we just cannot even be able to understand how a God who is so mighty and who is so pure could come down to this earth and live among us for the sole purpose of showing us himself. And I thank you, Pastor Cody, for the introduction and just for the challenge that God wants to use us. And that's exciting. Yesterday, we had a get-together with the volunteers that God has called to help or serve with the well. And I was just at the table, I was just like, you know, it's such a privilege to be part of what God is doing in this world that he chose even me, someone who is so unworthy to be part of that. You know, I just cannot understand why. And that's maybe one thing I'm going to ask him Ask God when I get to heaven, why me? Why did you choose me? I am not worthy. But God in his own all-knowing decided to choose a simple, unworthy, useless person like me. I don't have any, I don't know nothing, but he knows it all. I just want to share briefly about uh, missions and as you see in your bulletins, I will be mostly, it will be kind of a continuation from what Pastor Cody shared last week about God's word. But before I do that, I just want to give you, uh, some of you know me, most of you probably, or some of you, but I just want to give you a, you know, a rough uh, testimony, or rather my journey. I was born and raised in Kenya. Kenya is in East Africa, and Kenya is just below Somalia. And we, when I was around the age of 12, I came to know the Lord. Before that, I used to go to church. In fact, I say that I went to church nine months before I was born. My mother is a believer. Well, she's gone now, she's with the Lord now. And she took us to church. She took me to church even before I was born. And I grew up in the church, and I went through all the motions, and, you know, we, my mom woke us up every day, at, every morning at around 5 o'clock to pray. And I thought, you know, I was okay with God until I realized that I needed to make my own decision, personal decision, that going to church, being religious, doing good things, being a good kid, wasn't going to take me to heaven. I had to give my life to Christ. So one, when I was the age of 14, I went to a Christian camp, and at that camp, the word of God was preached, word of life camp in Kenya. And at that time, I came to, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. After that, the Lord led me to, I'm just going to go through this very quickly, to be, I went to university in my country of origin, became a high school teacher, and when I was teaching high school is when the Lord started speaking to me about missions. I was a high school teacher and I was in a remote part of the country and I could go from one church preach and then ride a bicycle to another church which was maybe eight miles 
preach another message. And I was like, wow, this is difficult. Transportation. And God started speaking to me about helping us in transportation. And I applied to Moody Bible Institute. And I went there and I trained to be a missionary aviator. A missionary aviator in the, I majored in maintenance just to be able to help with, with uh, reaching places with the gospel of Christ through aviation. I applied to ARM, Africa Inland Missions, because ARM had aviation called AIM Air. And after I, they accepted us, they accepted me, my wife and I got married, they accepted us, and they wanted us to go to a country called Zaire, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo, to start an aviation training. Now, I want to say that after I became a Christian, I got so much interested in Muslim ministry. Word of Life had a camp in the coast of Kenya, a place called Mombasa. You can see it there on the map. And Mombasa is part of the country where there is a lot of Arabs, a lot of Muslims. And as I ministered at Word of Life, I came into contact with a lot of Muslims. So I got interested in Islamic ministry. So when, we, when I finished Moody, and I was accepted, we were going to go with ARM, we were going to go to Congo. In Congo, there's really not many Muslims. And God, in his own sovereignty, closed that door for us to go to the Congo. And it was tough, because we were, I had learned French. I was ready to go. Congo is a French-speaking country. Kenya is English-speaking country. So I went to France, learned French. My wife was born in France, so she did not need to learn French. But as we were going to go to the Congo, the war broke. And there, then the Congo closed. So we couldn't go there. So we were there in limbo. And then Mission Aviation Fellowship, MAF, needed a mechanic in Chad. And they approached ARM, and so we were seconded to MAF. And we ended up in Chad. And Chad is a Muslim country. So God, I don't know how God worked that out, but it was just fascinating. And I look back, I see, yes, his hand was there. He wanted to keep me in Muslim ministry. And we went to Chad, and I'm just so excited because when we were there, great things happened. I had to cross a checkpoint every morning just before I get to my hang, and that checkpoint was the soldiers were all Muslims, and I became friends with them. And once in a while, I could invite them over to my hangar, get two cases of, three or three cases of Coke, and they would be sitting their Coke, and I would be there sharing with them the gospel under the wing of a Cessna 206, and sharing the gospel and telling them about Jesus that loved them. In, after we finished our assignment with the MAF, we came back to ARM, and that time ARM was starting what they call the diaspora ministry. And we were asked to go and be part of a team that was starting in Marseille. Marseille is in southern France, and we were targeting, or we were working with people from the Islamic Republic of the Comoros. We were there for 15 years, and then 2016, due to educational needs of our kids, we came to Wisconsin. So that's kind of gives you a rough idea where I'm coming from. But all this, I just want to share so that I can be able to, when I share about my ministry or what the Lord is doing through us, God's ministry through us, 
you can be able to piece all this together. Now, Muslims, most of us probably don't know much about Islam, and I'm, at the end of this message, I'm going to maybe take one or two questions in case there's something that you'd like me to share. Now, all through my journey, I've done a lot of studies to study Islam. But I think the most important thing before even I study Islam is to know what I believe. And that's where the word comes in, to know what I believe. I lived in France, I said, for 15 years. Maybe here in the States it's not that common to have fake currency or fake bills. In France and in Africa, in Kenya where I grew up, there's a lot of fake currency. And when you go to Carrefour, which is like the Walmart in France, and in line wanting to pay, and somebody in front of you has, is going to pay by cash. Maybe he has a 50 euro bill. When they're at the counter and they give that out, you know, they're going to have to run that 50 euro bill through a machine several times. Worst is when they have a 500, there exists a 500 euro bill. If that happens, and you are behind that person who is trying to pay with that, better just pull up a book and start reading, because you're going to be there for hours and hours as they try to call everybody, all these specialists who know how a 500, a genuine 500 euro looks like. And the question is, these people who look at these bills to detect them, how do they know? I think the most important thing that these people have done is to study the genuine currency. They know exactly how a 500 euro bill looks like. So when they see a fake one, they'll, de they'll know that this is fake. Why? Because they know what the correct, authentic bill looks like. And that is exactly the same thing with us in our faith. We need to know, know as written there, know Christ. And First Peter, no, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5, is a good verse that Peter says, for this reason, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. So, to our faith, we add goodness to goodness knowledge. And that's why I'm so excited to be part of this church where the word of God is, we encourage to keep our fingers in God's word, to study God's word, to find the truth for ourselves, and not just to have a one hour or two hour in the Sunday morning to hear God's word, but go home and dig in and study God's word. Last week, we, the teaching was, we had the three words, that, or the four words that Pastor Cody shared about. From Psalms chapter 1, verses 1, delighting in the Lord, delighting in the word. And also, meditating. And then there was committing, and the third one was submitting. submitting. Very good, thank you so much. That's exciting that we can, get those, we can get the word of God to richly dwell in us. And 
my challenge and my encouragement this morning is that we will have God's word. We'll know God so well. We'll, go, we'll know God in such a way that we can represent him truly as he is. That verse I just shared about Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says that if we do not have these qualities in increasing measure, if we have these qualities in increasing measure, if we have the knowledge and self-control and love in increasing measure, they will keep us from being short-sighted. This is year 2020. My prayer is that in this year 2020 that the Somalis, the Muslims, God would give them a 2020 vision that they can see God, they can see Jesus Christ the way he is. You know what? My prayer is that the Lord would give us as a church a 2020 vision that we will not be short-sighted but that we can see the need and we can see the urgency of sharing Christ with the dying world because the world needs Jesus. Lord, help us to have that vision 2020. A, 2020, a clear vision. So the important thing is to know him. And in the book of last week, the last chapter or the last verse that Pastor Cody shared was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And then all this is together because as you turn, you go to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and that's going to be our text this morning. And Paul continues to say that in the presence of God, maybe I'll just read it from there, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's important, careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Amen? We, it's clear from that verse, a few things this, we can make up, we can dissect this verse and unpack it and take hours, but I just want to pick up on a few things. The Bible tells us about in the last days, people will have itching ears. And as we do, and this is 
in our daily life, but also in ministry. As I'm going to share briefly about some things that happen in ministry. And in ministry, there's that pressure, because one thing a missionary has, a church that supports him or supports them, and people want to see goals. People want to see results. And sometimes it's so hard to find results, especially in Muslim ministry, because when a religion or a faith or a religion, I would say that, is so close to another one or to our, to our Christian religion, it's so hard because there's a lot of misconceptions that people have. If it was so different, it would be so easy, you know. It's like looking for a problem, something that is, is intermittent, you know. It doesn't always reproduce itself. Christianity and Islam kind of, there's some similarities. And the world looks at that. The people who, the media and people who are not Christians look at that and they just don't see the difference. And there's a lot of misconception about our faith. And we could be so easily pulled in. Because there are some verses in the Quran that when you read them, you think they are actually from the Bible. Now, before I share, I just want to go through some few words that I'm going to be using. Jesus is called Isa. So when I talk about Isa, that's Jesus in Arabic, Isa. Allah is the God of the Muslims. It's called Allah. The Quran is the book the Muslims use. Muslim use. Muhammad is the founder of the religion. He was born in the year 570 AD, 570 AD, in a place called Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Then at the age of 40, he moved from Mecca to Medina. Muhammad had at least 13 wives. The belief in the Muslim faith is that the angel Gabriel for a period of 22 years, part of it he was in Mecca, and part of it he was in Medina. The angel Gabriel took or went to these stones or tablets that are eternal and took the word from that tablets or from those uh, tables or from those stone tablets and gave them to Muhammad for a period of 22 years. And Muhammad memorized them. Muhammad did not know how to read or write. So he memorized all this, and then tradition says that after that he had people around him memorize those things that the angel Gabriel had passed over to him. And 200 years later, is after his death in 632, he lived for 62 years. He, uh, 200 years after his death, the Quran was put down in a book. And they claim that Quran is, uh, in the Arabic version, is without any error. But that's a question mark there, because there's several things that are contradictory. Now, Islam is, may sound so far away, because maybe we don't have so many of them. They may sound a minority, but they're the fastest growing religion in the world. They make 1.8 billion people in this world, That's around 25% of the world population. So they are not a minority. They are major, there's around 49 majority 
Muslim countries, most of them, you cannot have a church, you cannot allow to witness. I was in Malaysia <coughs> last September, and I was intrigued that it's against the law to share the gospel with somebody from that country who is not a Christian. And there are countries like that. Muhammad, as he got this uh, word from through the angel Gabriel, they put those, as I said, they put those down into writing around 200 years after his death. So this is oral tradition, you know. Oral, you know, you memorize, you pass it to somebody. And you know this game when I say something here and you whisper to the next person, by the time it gets there, it's not going to be the same thing I said. So you can just judge for yourself what the Quran is all about. So those are a few words that I'm going to be using. Now, although there's a lot of similarity between, there could be a lot of similarity, they believe in the virgin birth that Isa, son of Mary, was born through a virgin birth. Fantastic. But there are a few things they, a lot of other things they do not believe. And you know, the world can say, we worship the same God, Muslims and Christians. I don't know about that because I don't believe that. I think my God, and when somebody tells me that normally, I'm like, okay, if we worship the same God, then you have agreed now that Allah actually came down and entered time and space and walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, and that Allah actually died on the cross for my sins and rose again, and that Allah is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, that already sets an agenda for our discussion because the Muslims do not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. So we have three differences. I'm going to go through three major, there are several differences, but I have three major differences that I just want to go through quickly. And the first difference, as I mentioned, God entering, our time, entering time and space. Muslims believe that God is Akbar, Allah Akbar. God is so big, he is eternal. To think of him becoming, coming into this world is unimaginable. That is really diminishing him to be a finite thing, a finite being. So that is something that the Muslims will not accept, that God could enter time and space. But when I'm going to be quoting a few verses from the Quran here or giving you some references, and please don't misunderstand me, I do not consider Quran as an inspired book. All scripture, the word of God, the Bible, all scripture is inspired by God. Quran is not part of this. So as I mention a few verses, don't misunderstand me that I am using the Quran to preach to you. I'm just, I just want to share with you my experience as I share with, Mus with Muslims. And I was intrigued just a few years ago to see how many Muslim preachers know the Bible. And they take the Bible and they use the Bible to satisfy, they misquote and, and misinterpret the Bible to satisfy their end. 
and if you go to YouTube, there's a lot of Muslim preachers. Zakir Naik is born in Bombay. He is a Muslim preacher and he goes out there and he talks about how Christ never died on the cross and how Christ cannot be God. He's using the Bible. Ahmed Didat lived in Dublin, South Africa, has written so much material. One of them, he says, crucifixion, where fiction is just the word fiction. You know, it's like something that did happen. And he has pamphlets after pamphlets, and he's on YouTube. And I realize as I go to the tea shop in Baron, all these guys, all these men are watching YouTube. They're watching Zakir Naik. They're watching Ahmedidat. They're watching this. And there's a lot of things going out there. I take them to the Quran when they tell me that God cannot enter time and space. And in Quran chapter 20, verses uh, ayah 10 to 12, the story of Moses. And Moses, and this story we all know because this story actually is picked up from the Bible, but it's in the Quran chapter 20. Moses is out in the desert and he sees fire somewhere. And he goes and he finds it's a bush that's on fire but it's not being consumed. And as he gets close to that bush, a voice comes from the bush and says, Moses, this, take off your shoes for the place you are standing is holy ground. So I ask the Muslim friends, holy ground, what does that mean? Does that mean a place can only be holy if Allah is there? And then as he approaches, the voice says, Moses, this is Allah. Nobody else can use the name Allah. So if God cannot enter time and space, what was he doing there 1400 B.C.? He was there in that bush. So the Muslims say, oh, no, that bush, maybe it's in heaven. No, but Moses is there. Moses was not in heaven. And then they all stuck there with that question. So just their problem is, as they deny that, you find it already in the Quran. If you pick up verses from the Bible and put them in a book and you don't want, you, you know, if, you get yourself in big trouble. Their Moses is with God. And I ask them if God would manifest himself in a burning bush in 1400 BC, what prevents him from manifesting himself in a person 2,000 years ago? He did it 2,000 years ago. He came to this world. The world in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were created. And without him, nothing that has been created was created. He was life. And that life is the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has never overcome, cannot overcome. And if you jump down to verses 11, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to all who received him, he gave them the power to become children of God. Children born not from the will of a father or a husband, but children born from the will of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh. 
incarnation. The word became flesh. The word that was in the beginning with God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. And that's the truth. That God can reveal himself. Another big one I'm going to try to go quickly here is the deity of Christ. And Muslims will not take this because as I just mentioned that they don't like the idea that God can become human. I can become human. And I take them back to the Quran also for this. You know, in the book of, in uh, chapter 19 of the Quran, Jesus, Isa, says, Peace be upon me. That verse is 33. Peace be upon me the day I was born, the day I die, and the day I am raised to life. That's in the Quran. Peace be upon me the day I was born, the day I die, and the day I'm raised to life. And they go, no, no, that maybe is talking about the future. It's talking about the second coming. But tell them, no, listen, in verses 15 of chapter 19, the same, same chapter, it's talked about John the Baptist. And it says, peace was upon him the day he was born, the day he dies, and the day he's raised from the dead. So you're telling me John the Baptist is going to come again and then a fix. And they have to look for ways to get out through that dimension. But thank God that we do not have to worry because it's so clear from the scriptures. Matthew chapter 26 is a very important chapter here. And to help us understand this, that God, Jesus being God and or being called the Son of God is important. In that Christ is before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he asks him in chapter verse 63 of Matthew 26, are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, you have said so and you will see the Son of Man coming down in the clouds. And at that time, you know what happens? Caiaphas tears his robe or his clothes and says, what other proof do we need? He has blasphemed. The Jews knew exactly what he meant by taking the title, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, you find it also in the book of Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and it talks about in a night vision I before me there was him that looked like this, a, a son of man coming down in the clouds of heaven and he came before the ancient of days and he was given a dominion over peoples and tribes and nations that they would worship him and his kingdom will never be destroyed. That title is important. But this, unfortunately, there is, in missions, there is a, an organization that is very prominent that is taking the word son of God, anything to do with filio, taking son of God from, by, from the Bible. This organization has done translations in a lot of languages in this world. And around 2008, that organization went back into languages that are predominantly Muslim and started taking out the, 
Son of God and Father. Why? Because they did not want to offend the Muslims. They pegged on the verse, love your neighbor. So if I love my neighbor, I don't want to offend him. So like Matthew chapter 28, they say, go, the Bible says, go into the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They say, go into the world and washing them with water in the name of Allah and of Isa, the Messiah, and of his spirit. You know what they've done? They have just taken out the Son of God, which is a very important title. That is, that's deity there, that's divinity. But the Muslims love that because Messiah is actually what the Quran says Jesus is. Isa al-Masih. That's the human title. And they've just taken that away. The insider movement, as we're going to see in the next slide, I have this book from Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. And Qureshi, Nabil Quraish says this in one of his, uh, he says, my advice is actually more controversial than it might sound at first. Shortly after entering the world of ministry to Muslims, I learned that many missionaries tell new believers from Muslim background not to inform their families they have converted. They suggest that new believers maintain their relationship with, the Muslims, with their Muslim circles rather than proclaim the div divine lordship of Jesus. These ministers often spread the gospel among Muslims while omitting the teaching that Jesus is God. The practice is so widespread and it has become a common approach among missionaries called the insider movement. I have great love for Christian brothers and sisters who dedicate their lives to, reach Mus to reaching Muslims, but I find this approach horribly misguided and I resolutely condemn it as blasphemy. A gospel devoid of deity of Jesus is no gospel. I have the book here, fantastic guy who came to know the Lord from a Muslim background. The last one I'm going to share very briefly, our time is out here, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this one Muslims don't like either. In fact, the Quran says, categorically refuses that. And Quran chapter 4, verses 157, says that they thought they killed Jesus, the son of Mary. They actually did not kill him. That God, Allah, changed the face of the person on the cross and put somebody's, uh, they put Jesus' face on somebody. And that just, I just, it just sounds weird that God there seems like he is a deceiving God. He takes the face of Jesus and puts it on somebody else. And then he waits for 600 years and then goes, finds a, an, an illiterate Arab and tells him the true story. I don't want anything to do with that. A, a God, an Allah that is so decept that deceives people. And what about Jesus himself? Three days later, he appears to his disciples and he shows them that he's the risen savior. And a week later, when Thomas was doubting, he even shows him the holes on his hand. Now that's a deceiving Isa. I don't want anything to do with that Isa. My Isa doesn't lie. 
My God doesn't lie. My God is true. He's true. And that's the exciting thing that we don't have to beat around the bush. We have the truth that God shows himself as a human being, died on the cross for us. And, you know, all this might be confusing and scary, but, you know, the encouraging thing I want to leave you this morning as you go through those doors is that there's someone on the throne who is in control. And he's not planning to leave that throne. He's, there's no time out for him. He's there to stay, and that's King Jesus. And Pastor is talking about verses that we like, and my favorite verse, verse that encourages me, even this morning when I hear there's a bombing in my country of Kenya that Al-Shabaab were attacking, and when France is being invaded and there's people being stabbed, you know, there's one thing encouraging. And John, when he was in that island, saw a vision, and he says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll, to, to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before him. Each had a harp, and they were holding golden balls full of incense. And they sang a new song. And the song they sang goes like this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and, and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then he continues and says, then I heard voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They were encircle, encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they said this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then after that, everybody, all the creatures on earth and in heaven and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them were, were there and they were saying this. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. How exciting. And then it says that 
the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. And you want to worship him today because we know he is worthy. He is worthy to, to, to see us through, even when we just don't see how we can penetrate through this life. He is worthy. And I love him for that. And he loves us. And my desire is that we go out. If God's touched you this morning and you would like to get involved in serving, you don't have to know the Quran fully. It comes little by little. This is what I know about the Quran in Muslim didn't happen in one day. I just want to give one question because our time is gone here. Anybody, anything that, somebody, any question? It's, if you don't have a question, that's okay, but I just do not want, okay, Matt. Very good. Thank you so much. I think we all, we all, we all heard the question. Do I need to repeat the question? We got it? Yeah. The thing is, we had a mission trip to London uh, to visit, um, I can't remember, yeah, the Brogans. And there was a model there that we were hoping to come back to this area and implement. Now, just in a quick uh, answer to that, uh, the idea was to have the youth who went to the mission trip meet with the Somali youth and interact. I've asked that to, because they have the hierarchy, you know, they're all watching on each other. So I did not just want to grab the youth. I wanted to do it in an open. So I, I needed the permission from the imam. Imam is the leader of the mosque. And, you know, with the, our tough African culture and with their Muslim culture, it's not easy to just say no, you know, to, you know, they're not upright like the Dutch or the Germans, you know. They kind of, you know, beat around the bush, so they'll just tell you, wait, we'll do this. So it, it, was, it took a long time with all this wait, you know, we, we, I'm going to call him, or he didn't call me back. So I had to go through one of my, the peacemaker, the Somali guy, and in a nutshell, at the end, they just, told me that the parents are scared to death, that their kids are going to meet Christians. So they said, no, they don't want to do that. So that's basically where we are. Does that answer the question? But all is not lost. Next week, be in prayer for this. We'll have the pastors meeting with the imam. So at that time, I'm going to be able to bring this up and ask the imams directly. Hey, guys, why don't you guys get the youth? The youth needs to talk. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Otieno.